Hey there. This is uh, the first episode of Vague State. Uh, today we'll be talking about illusion of the self. Among other things. Among other things. Okay, well, the illusion of the self is kind of like a theory, um, if you could call it that. It's kind of based around the idea that the self is a construct of the mind. It is how you view yourself and view the world, uh, more or less. I mean, that's it's kind of it's a, it's a difficult thing to interpret it, but that's kind of how I um, see it myself. I mean, like an, an illusion is basically it's it's subjective. It's a it's a generation. It's a something that your brain is generating. Um, and it's not experienced the same by anybody else. Exactly, and it's a very individual thing, and I think um, it's, it's all about everyone has subjective experiences, and that um, all the experiences that happen to you and everything you partake in as you grow in age um, culminates in that um, perception of the self, which is your perception. And this idea is basically saying that, you know, you're – your sense of self, your experiences, and your sense of free will, those are basically an illusion. And uh, all this, despite being a strong part of your identity, is not a physical thing. It is something that is in your mind that uh, helps you in your daily life because it's everything that is a part of you and the way that you think and the personality that you have. Um, some people think that you can kind of absolve yourself of the self by uh, losing the sense of being someone. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of that in things like Eastern religions. Um, you have these, these guru types and, and whatnot who, through religion, I think a lot of the time can reach um, what is described as, you know, a plane of enlightenment or a sense or state of peace that um, allows you to, yeah, I think in many ways be happier and more content with the way the world is because you are not as caught up in your own thoughts and mind. Yeah, I mean, in some contemporary spiritual teachings um, I'm reading here it says um, some believe to become enlightened or to become uh, realized it means to let go of the illusion of being someone and when, when this happens our sense of personal identity disappears and I mean I don't know that that seems weird to me just because I think your your sense of self I mean while it may be an illusion I think sort of um, dissolving that sense of self, it can be sort of detrimental to to you and how. Because I mean, if, if there is no sense of self, then I mean, how do you how do you view yourself? I think um, you know. I brought up religion. I think if you are able to or, or, or attempting to to lose the identity of the self, then it. Um, 
is aided by having um, another support or strength in something else like religion or I was thinking about cults. I think a lot of people um, can join cults and become blind followers and they give in to the other ideas of something else. And that, in a way, definitely, I think, um, oh, yeah. it makes these people lose their identities or what they once were. And, yeah, that's like, I mean, I think things like that are sort of, that's sort of why I'm so fearful of that idea. I think it's it's risky. It's definitely risky, I think. Um, that's why I think largely in society people look at those who choose to live their life differently in this regard as um, rather odd because many of us, of course, just live our lives and have our jobs and we fall into monotonous uh, states and styles of, of being. Um, I think that... Um, well, one point I was going to talk about with uh, the self is, because it always interests me to bring up the, the evolutionary aspect, I think. Um, if you look at uh, animalistic ancestors, um, they did not have as developed consciousness, consciousness as we did. And they did not have this constructed idea uh, or higher thinking mechanism for viewing the world. Uh, in the same way that we do. And I think as modern humans, we grapple um, a lot with uh, instincts and consciousness. And in this regard, I think um, once you begin to think about thing, these things, you're, you're kind of left with, the, with some questions as to why we uh, view the world the way we do and why you as an individual um, have come to your circumstances in terms of thinking. And the people that fall into monotonous states and they're not really questioning any of these things. I mean, I mean, earlier you said sometimes you sort of have the desire, like, oh, you know, maybe it'd be easier if I, if I was one of these people. Maybe, like, maybe it would be less hard on me if I didn't question those things, but... I mean, I think, I think overall there's just, there's only so much fulfillment that you can get out of uh, a simpleton life like that. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's hard to, because you're kind of just doing things because that's the way you've always done them. Um, and like, Oh, that's just the way that I am. And I'm doing these things because that's what I'm supposed to do. You're not really questioning your intentions or, you know, you're not, really paying much attention to, oh, I'm doing this because I like it and I'm going to choose this because I enjoy it more than the alternative. You know, I have felt um, for some time now that I think I recognize it as maybe not exactly a positive uh, realization or reflection, but it feels like a lot of people in society don't have the level to themselves or the perception that they do think extensively about life or about themselves in the manner of um, existence. Um, and that is a very vague way to put it. Vague state, even. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, I, mean, ex I mean, 
your existence is sort of a, I mean, it's, it's taunting. It's, it's something that you could easily get, get lost in thought. And you're like, you just, you feel scared of thinking about that. It's such a large thing that you can't really wrap your brain around it. And I think, um, and I've been trying to get better about, you know, just thinking about the larger picture. The big picture? Yeah, the big picture. Society. Well, well, I mean, I, I think, it's like, specifically your existence, because you're thinking, I mean, if you're an a-religious person, um, and you're like, okay, well, I don't necessarily think that there is a higher power, you think about, okay, well, why are we here? What is our purpose? And it's sort of this, this uh, cycle that your mind goes in, and the, whenever you don't really find anything at the end of that cycle, it just keeps going through and you end up feeling like, oh, well, there is no purpose to human existence. Like there, there's no comfort and there's no certainty. And I mean, as, as, as a species, we're sort of always looking for that certainty in our, in our purpose. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people in that instinctual way, don't really question their lives. Maybe I'm wrong about that. That's just the way I feel, though. I feel like a lot of people, maybe as you age specifically, you get into routines in your life, um, monotony, that maybe forces you to just uh, accept how things are, and I think, in a way that is a positive, healthy thing, to just fall into your own life, fall into your own shoes, your job, your family. Um, cause I think that definitely, um, well that ties into ignorance being bliss. And I think that allows, um, people to be happy with, with what they have and they can recognize, um, fulfillment in their life, um, that doesn't have to be beyond, um, the means that they have, you know, um, and um, I think a lot of people are just, they don't question much. And by not doing that, they, they are content. Um, and some people just like are, I guess it's more inherent in them individually the, that they ask these questions. I mean, not even necessarily philosophical questions, but like they're just, they they're more curious about who they are and why and why life is the way that it is. Um, I think it's I think it's um, fair game to say that not all people are like that. Um, I mean, I mean and, and like for me specifically, I mean, um, I think those questions have in the past led to negative things. I mean, I'm always asking these questions, and then whenever I feel like there isn't a clear answer to them. I end up um, feeling lost and feeling sort of um, uh, I feel a lack of purpose. But I mean, it's just I, I mean I feel like it's sort of um, a matter of being able to deal with those questions and know what to do with that curiosity and use it to your advantage. Be, be able to look at the right things. Yeah, you know, I think 
it's all a learning process, I think. If you have these thoughts in your head for years, then you begin to formulate your own notions of, of what really matters. Um, but there is oftentimes um, those large questions um, that are left, like, you know, will I understand this one day? Um, a lot of the time I think about, like, what will I be like in 10 years? How will I, how will I then think about how I thought now? Um, and I think a lot of the time, you know, you look at older people and uh, you might go through some rough times when you're young, but when you're older, you can laugh at it. And I think stuff like that, um, while some might say, I think I can agree with some points that life might not have much meaning, uh, I think that um, in in life not having much meaning, you, you make the most of it. And um, that kind of allows you to just enjoy the the surreal surreality if that's a word of um, of existence if it wasn't a word before it is now get it written down yeah <laughs> um we were going to talk a little bit about um a man called francis gelson a philosopher of a sort at least who wrote uh, a paper called free will observations and inferences and in it he just talks about um it's kind of hard to decipher, honestly. I mean, I'm not going to lie, just because uh, it's written in the 1800s and it's it's old-time speak and it's very, very complex. But yeah, you take what it from you can. You take what you can. And uh, he talks about free will and how some people see free will uh, as being inherently impulsive. He uses the example of um, the brutish man kind of like... Um, and I think if you look at the time in which it was written, you know, in kind of a structured society, people had rigid manners, kind of. Um, free will also under a god or something like that. Um, it's a very interesting concept. Um, and he goes through the notions and talks about if it does exist and he makes notes on himself and he kind of comes to some conclusions such as like he doesn't believe he has much free will because most of the things he do he does he has to do I think in terms of like eating meals and going to work um, he feels that he just falls into these routines anyway uh, like it's inevitable um, and I was saying that I disagreed with this specific part because you know, you you have larger forces like that. Like, you know, you have to work to feed your family, you know, stuff like that that you feel like is not a choice. But I, I would argue that it still is a choice because you're you're making these this you're making these decisions where whereas there could be the alternative of, you know, not going to work. Nobody is forcing you to go to work. You're still making that decision. Um, and, and I think I think the danger of it of it feeling like it's not a decision. Uh, I mean, it falls into what we were talking about earlier about the about people being in a monotonous state. You just you're doing things because that's what you do, and you're not really thinking of it as a decision or a choice, or that based on based on preference or anything like that. Where I mean, like, and, and I think even things like 
choosing to eat. I mean, obviously you should still eat, but I think, I think the, the choice of like what you're going to eat, I think it should be more of like a a fun thing. Like, Oh, I want to eat this because I like it. And you shouldn't just take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich to work every day. Like it, I think whenever you become monotonous in everything that you do and you, you stop thinking of everything, you, you start thinking of everything is not a choice. Um, I think that completely takes the enjoyment out of living. And I can I can see where you're coming from, uh, but again, I think for a lot of people, they might not even question um, that. So for them, that monotony is life. That all life that is all life is, and they don't question it. So they just live it um, because that's what they have. And I get to thinking about like you know how how happy can that person possibly be? I mean, like maybe they, if you ask them, I mean, there's a large chance that they'll be like, Oh yeah, I'm perfectly happy. But like, I think I would be more predisposed to, to say that someone who doesn't question things in life probably has a higher chance of, of attaining happiness than someone who does question a lot of things. And then I'm in an also like happy, happiness is completely relative. It's like, Oh, they, they think that they're happy, but like, I mean, if they're just, uh, if they're experiencing the same thing over and over and like they're just they're okay with it I mean you, you, it raises the question have they just become comfortable with their circumstances and like they they feel fine with them like, oh I'm happy but like you know are they actually experiencing joy I think um, you know if you think of the old days when a lot of people had backbreaking work a lot of people today still do backbreaking work they, um, almost in a more human sense, find ways of uh, humour and joy um, despite their tough conditions. Um, and I think that can be a natural human instinct uh, to do so. Um, I mean, you, you got to know, you got to know pain to know, to know happiness, to know joy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the most fascinating, brutal, but understandable aspects of and I mean and also I mean that it's another it's another part to um living in a monotonous state like kind of never experiencing much outside of your daily experiences like sort of every day is exactly the same it's like you're not doing much that's going to make you excited you're not doing much that's going to hurt you you kind of just like live in this bubble to maybe to to evade pain to evade suffering or anything that's uncomfortable so you just sort of do the same thing and that's what you're fine with that's what you're comfortable with but i mean that's the whole thing if you're not experiencing the bad things then you're probably not going to be experiencing the good things it's sort of just going to be on the same same level and I think situations like that for a lot of people, especially today, can cause things like depression. Um, or and for me, that I mean, that's the exact thing that led to dissociation. It's whenever you're, whenever you're, sort of unconsciously blocking out unpleasant emotions. You're you're trying to keep yourself from feeling pain. Then you sort of check out from your body your mind and your body they disconnect from one another and you're not really experiencing anything so you're not going to be able to experience happiness or any of the pleasant emotions 
at least not in the way that, that you might want to or, or might believe it could happen. Um. Yeah, I mean, like for, like for me, it's, uh, I mean, there was the most recent period of my life, like whenever I was with my last significant other, I mean, I, if anybody asked me how I was doing, like I would have like genuinely be like, oh, I'm happy. Like life is good right now because I mean, in reality it was, but I think I was, I was sort of unable to feel to its full extent the, the happiness that like I should have been experiencing because I wasn't fully experiencing it. And I feel like uh, as a person, um, I can, I think I can safely say that I don't experience um, large amounts of happiness um, the same way that I think other people do. I might, uh, I might relate to, or might have the condition dysthymia, or some kind of it, um, which is low levels of depression that are constant. Um, they can last uh, maybe a couple of years or or, or longer. Um, but in that regard, you know, I think a lot of the time, if people ask me, you know, if I enjoy things, I'll be like, you know, I did enjoy that thing. Uh, I was content with it. But for me, it seems in the past few years, a lot of the time I met with uh, things that caused me pain and, and caused me to think um, deeply about things which involves, um, which can lead to depression and has for me in the past. But do you, I mean, do you think the condition of dysthymia, is it, is it something that you see as sort of like reversible, something that you can, um, something that you could find the source of it and, and, you know, rework your, the patterns in your brain and like the way you perceive things and stuff like that? Is it a, is it a more reversible thing or do you sort of just see it as the way that you are? Well, I think I have inherently. a long, I think I have a long road ahead of me in my life. So I just, I just don't know, but part of me really does feel like the way I am kind of just um, is how it is. And uh, I am, sometimes when I'm negatively thinking about it, I might say I'm condemned to always kind of just be um, a watcher on the wall. That's kind of how life can feel like sometimes. I mean, I'd say, I mean, like my entire life, I thought all of my... Um, so the things about me are the things that I like. I experienced that were just like unpleasant, and I was like, you know, whenever I got depressed, whenever I sort of felt like I wasn't experiencing things the the way that I should be experiencing them, or like the way that others were experiencing them, I always sort of just saw like it as, you know, inherent in my being, and I didn't think it was. I didn't really think it was a condition or anything like that. I was just like, this is how I am. Nothing's ever going to change, and I didn't until very recently actually see it as something that was reversible, something that I could um, I think that I could find the source of and I know that I could actually reverse. I think uh, I think myself I have a lot to learn, but yeah, it's it's when you you're just unsure about how to go about things, and someone might say to you, "Have you thought about this way?" and you can, yes, there is there is ways to to change your life, maybe physically in things that you're doing to to help yourself out. 
But there is also ways to uh, train your brain um, to avoid negative things, such as um, such as what we've been speaking of. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we went to something else that we have jotted down here. Um, the importance of being present in your life and not always being caught up in your thoughts. Uh, and I said to that um, that I often feel caught up in my thoughts and it's difficult sometimes to truly relax um, because I feel, you know, we were talking with a friend of ours about um, things that might be on your mind, um, you know, uh, negative things or maybe things you're stressed about or have connotations to them that um, basically you're thinking about it a lot maybe you're worrying about it or maybe you are concerned about this thing and it can be coming from one place um, and that can be causing you pain but we were talking with a friend and you know, and he was describing how sometimes in life there's elements of pain and frustration, confusion coming from many areas and I think that can make your life feel as a whole um, unstable that's a horrible feeling. Um, I've been there sometimes. Um, definitely that can lead to things like suicidal thoughts. You know, I think a lot of young people these days deal with that. And we, as a society, if, if we ever do, I hope so, we lack the current means, it seems, to really address that issue and issues similar to it. Um, with the advent, the newer advent of technology, um, things like depression have um, definitely morphed into a new kind of strange beast and we're only just now as digital natives really coming to meet that. Um, And it's uh, strange times, strange times we live in, folks. Um, Strange times, indeed. Well, what's your thoughts on um, being present? I mean, like we were talking about earlier, um, you know, whenever whenever we were actually discussing the um, kind of the idea of the negative thoughts and um, kind of being stuck on things, whenever it seems to be too much, you got to just like distract yourself. Um, and that can be healthy. It can be negative. I mean, I just, I sort of see distractions as inherently negative because, because I mean, maybe for like a short term, a short term solution. Okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe if it's a short term solution, like maybe sometimes it is necessary if you, if you don't see it it within you to be able to um, make sense of the things that you're feeling and like, and get past them, then, I mean, if it leads to like complete hopelessness, and thoughts of suicide, stuff like that, then, you know, that's kind of the end and you're going to need to find some type of solution um, where it seems that there aren't any others and you're going to need to distract yourself. But I just feel like um, distraction sort of takes your mind away from the problem and the problem still remains dormant Mm -hmm. under the surface and it's going to come back, back later. I think when you have perhaps more serious problems that are unaddressed uh, and you try and push those down 
Um, that is not good, you know, bottling up your emotions. It's definitely never good to do that. And um, it is good to maybe talk to a therapist if you're really concerned about the issue. Um, if you feel like it really affects you and you can't live your life in a straightforward way, then it is good to talk to people, uh, professionals, or maybe just more of your friends, more of your family about the issue and try and open it up. Yeah, and I mean, like, so I mean, the, the idea of being present, you're not going to be present if you're constantly obsessing over over an idea, over uh, a worry of yours, and that that's, go- that's what's going to keep you from being present. And then if you add a distraction in, um, I feel like that's just sort of adding to, adding to the not being present. I think, on the other hand, there is a lot of different kinds of distraction. You know, you could say that um, a lot of people um, keep themselves busy to not think about things that um, are inevitable or can't really be changed, such as relationships. Um and I was thinking about it when I was driving today and um, a lot of people end a relationship and um, there's pain and, and feelings of um, discontent, to put it mildly, I think, a lot of the time. And a lot of people will jump right into another relationship to forget about their past love. And that's sort of like a distraction, yeah. Um, and that I mean, can be negative. Yeah. Even now, and I was talking about this today, um, but can be positive as well. What if it's a great relationship and you forget about the pain of the past, you know? There's duality. I mean, I feel like if you were in love with the previous person and you jump into another relationship... What if you're, I, like, doubly in love with the second person? I don't really... The first love is cancelled out, bro. <laughs> Dude, I... No, not always, no. I just, I don't, I, I feel like... I mean, of course, talking about being in love and it being a larger force and everything, that's a, another discussion, of mm-hmm. course. But um, but I, I think whenever you're in love with somebody, I think jumping into another relationship would be, there's no way that it wouldn't just be for a distraction. I mean, like, you can enjoy the relationship, but I think if you were truly in love with the previous person, you can't just, like, fall right back in love with somebody else. No, I mean, the, that kind of thing takes time, obviously. Um, but, I mean, so, I mean, on the topic of, uh, of like, ending a relationship, you're going to be trying to do anything to distract yourself from the pain that you're feeling of it, from that, from that breakup, and you're going to be going out, um, going out doing things and hanging out with other people. I think that's and you're, and you're, positive hanging out with other people too. it is a positive but then i feel like it's sort of inevitable that you're going to be like obsessing over it while you're with other people like and yeah. trying to experience these other things to help you or like when you lay your head down at night that's what you're thinking about you know at least for a while yeah i mean i, I had trouble sleeping for many weeks you know um, I mean, it's, but it's just like it's the matter of obsessing and like whenever you're with other people and having a good time doing something that you otherwise would have enjoyed, you're going to be obsessing over, oh, I wish that person was here with me doing this. I wish. And just like obsessing over things like that, sort of over, um, they're like, oh, what could be? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this would be better with something else. And then you're going to be obsessing over that. 
and you're not actually going to be present in that experience. You're not going to be enjoying it. You're not going to be, and that's the, that's the whole idea of being present because if you're obsessing over something else, uh, you're not actually going to be present in that moment and you're not actually going to be gaining anything from the experience because I mean, arguably you're not actually experiencing it, even though you're physically there. And I think that can tie into, you know, um, always thinking about the future, what are you going to be doing? And, and when you come out of a relationship, for example, um, but you're thinking about it a lot, then you might be thinking about, you know, how, what, what am I going to do from here? How am I going to survive? Is how you might phrase it. Um, yeah. Because yeah, that's the feelings that you have. You're like, dude, I'm going to die without this person. But um, while not a good feeling, I think it is natural, if not only just because that is the response of most people, I think. Yeah, and also, like, I mean, my main thing has been, okay, while this pain is, like, it sometimes feels, like, unfathomable. It, you're like, oh, I cannot experience this pain. Like, it's just too much to handle. And you might think, me I never as, want to experience this again. Yeah, like, me as a human boy. Yeah. Uh, like, dude, I can only handle so much. I'm the a pain, mortal. Like, I'm not strong enough to battle this force. The pain feels so strong that, you know, like, I, I need to do something to evade it. So you distract yourself. Could be drugs. Yeah. Could be alcohol. I mean, of course, that's a drug. You could toke it up or drink an entire bottle of whiskey, like whatever you're, you're most likely going to distract yourself in some way because it feels like the only option in that situation. Because whenever you have a pain that just feels so great, it'll, it's almost like not an option in your, in your mind to just experience it, um, to experience the pain. Um, because I think with, with situations like that, you don't think that the pain will subside eventually. It sort of feels like a perpetual thing. Well, I think, you know, you know, I, I came out of a relationship some time ago now. It's been many months. Um, and there's new developments with your uh, ex-significant other, you know. Your old beer. Yeah, you know, and, and you feel that in your heart and uh, new, new pain resurfaces. Uh, old pain resurfaces, um, you know, it strikes into your heart. But I think over time, as I have learned, I think, um, while you still feel that pain, you get more used to it and it becomes less severe. I was just thinking about, um, you know, this is a big jump, uh, not something I can personally relate to, but PTSD in veterans. Um, you know, a lot of um, guys or women, they don't talk about their experiences in battle or in war because, uh, understandably, it's, it's so visceral that uh, it's just not something they can open up about to people. Yeah, and I would argue that the whole getting used to it thing, like that's not how it should be. Sometimes that's how it, that, that's how it ends up. How, sh- how should it be in your opinion? You know, I think if you truly experience the pain that you should be experiencing it um, and you deal with it in the correct ways, you heal in the correct ways, um, 
then it's not a matter of getting used to it. I feel like you you heal completely, and then it's not, and then you don't feel the pain at all one day because you've you've felt the pain, right? You've learned from it, you healed, and then you're in a new stage of your life. Well, in conjunction with getting used to it, obviously, you know, I think um, you, if you think about something enough, hopefully you don't go down the route of depressive negative thinking. But maybe if you think about things over time um, and you're around new people, you know, kind of distracting yourself with that positive energy, um, then that can allow you to, to, to heal by thinking about um, the situation in new ways and that are different from the ways you were thinking about it when the pain was fresh. When the pain is fresh, you're, you think your mind is clouded. And you're not seeing things the way the other person might be seeing them, and you're not seeing the way you're not seeing things the way that um, is healthy, I think. And from from a long term perspective, from a long time after the event, you can look back at it and um, and understand why things went the way they did. You know, I think a lot of relationships, probably both partners did things to to not uh, aid in the relationship, not help the relationship. Mm-hmm. But when you begin to understand all the facets of it, I think um, you can kind of come to the realisation, if you could call it that, and uh, um, it's just another thing that you might not have anticipated um, that could have gone that way. But as you grow, when you learn more things in life, then you... You realise that you can never you can never expect, you know, always expect the unexpected because life is rough and it'll, it'll throw things at you. But when you learn these things and you be, you can become more wise to the unpredictability of people, I think, and events. Yeah, I mean, I think specifically with pain, with that emotion, um, and if you could even call it an emotion... Just, I mean, but with pain, I think unless you make the decision to just feel it and stop trying to distract yourself from it, it's going to be there. And I mean, like the whole time heals concept or like, oh, just give it time. It will go away. It's like, I mean, that's sort of like encouraging a... I mean, I, I agree with that. It, it encourages a, a, like, the not doing anything about it. Because I think, I think healing is an active process and you need to be doing things to, I mean, you, you got to be feeling the pain, but then also you got to be doing things to, to move on from it and, and become better than you were before. I think it's important to address the issue. Um, but it's also important for some of the time to to try and forget about it. Um, maybe just do an activity where you can lose yourself, you know? Listen to music or something like that. Yeah, and I mean, it's like... Sometimes you don't want to be yourself because that person doesn't make you feel good, but that is you. You know, you can't run away from that. 
And if you're not able to run away from it, then either you work to solve things, which is the healthy way to go about it, or, yeah, you bottle it up. And bottling it up, after a while, you don't feel it as much anymore. But you'll never forget it. And you'll never forget it either way, but if you work to, to help yourself and to understand the situation or, or the pain that has been caused to you, then then you can kind of liberate your your mindset and uh, not feel as bad about the thing. Well, I mean, the idea of like, oh, well, time will heal it. You just give it time and it won't hurt as much one day. I mean, that sort of encourages the behaviors of retreating into yourself and just sort of waiting for something to happen Mm -hmm. externally. But a lot of the time, um, but nothing's going to happen. I mean, mean, the world isn't going to stop for anybody. There's still going to be things going on around you, but like nothing's going to happen. That's going to change your, your state because you gotta, you gotta do things for yourself. And I think maybe some, sometimes it just comes to a point where someday you're like, whatever. Maybe that happens to some people, but a lot of the time it's a very slow process. Uh, it could take years, you know, and um, other stuff happens, like you say, other stuff happens to you during that time. And that helps you to forget about it just because eventually the pain, the event, it's not current anymore. And new things are happening in your life which are current, and so you can't really spend a lot of your time thinking about the old thing. You have to be in the new stuff. I mean, like, life is supposed to be dynamic. You you can't just, like, stay in the same mental state. I mean, because it's all about the, it's all about the context. And a lot of time you are in the same mental state, maybe for months or years. Um... But a lot of the time, I think um, I don't. I don't. Think, I don't think it should be that way, though. No, I don't. Th- I wouldn't support that. You know, a lot of people, an event happens to them, and they're in a depressive area in the, over their life for years. And I mean, you're you're going a lot to of people be, come out. You're going to be feeling that pain for for a while. You're going to be depressed for a while, depending on what the what the event was. But I mean, like you're not. But you shouldn't stay in that state for. I mean, like elongated periods of time, you know. I mean, I think I read a psychological article that basically surmised that um, a lot of people after extreme depressive episodes can come back out of it. At the end, they can, and I think it's what we were talking about earlier, if you feel that pain, that sorrow, then when you do feel joy again, then you can really cherish it. Yeah, because you, you don't know joy, you don't know happiness without pain, because there's no, I mean, I think it's it's the contrast that, means the most really mm-hmm. I mean like whenever you feel so much pain and you're depressed for a while um, if something changes if you get to a better place then like you appreciate it so much more appreciation is, a, is an interesting topic I mean you never know a good only, thing till it's gone I think it only comes with time and, and wisdom experience yeah, and I mean, I'd, I'd say, like, you don't really start appreciating somebody until they're gone, really. Whenever they aren't in your life anymore, 
and you're looking back at whenever they were, you pay attention to the little things that you really loved about them. Um, and sort of, I mean, what you miss about them, but then also like what you loved about the experience that they gave you, the experience that you had um, because they were in your life. And it's, I mean, it's sort of all along the lines of, I mean, what I, what I said earlier is you, you aren't going to appreciate something fully unless you are really thinking about it. And it's, it also goes along with being present, you know? Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to be present. Um, and then it just sucks because you're not comfortable. Whenever there's people in your life and you're not, you're not, uh, you're not being fully present. That's not completely fair to them. Well, because if you're not present, then they say love yourself. Do you think you have that ability in you? Does anyone truly have that ability? I think probably, but I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm all right with myself for the most part, but um, I mean, I I think it's um, I think I definitely have the ability to, and I think I think I can love parts of myself at least. I think I think everybody that's, has the I that's think the it, first step. You know? I think everybody has the ability to, but I I would say that most people don't know how to get there, or even have the desire to really. Yeah, they 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 wouldn't understand how to even. Uh, conceptualize that feeling yeah I mean like I'm I'm just now starting to love myself and I mean I think it is definitely a long process but I think I'm just now starting to I mean on the eve of 20 years old Mm -hmm. it's I'm just now starting to because before it was like I mean it was a sort of like a quote-unquote desire of mine but I was like I never really actually made the effort to get there and I mean, I mean, I didn't even know how to get there. I think loving yourself, like it can be many things. I think I think it could be understanding the world that within which you live and uh, loving aspects of it, and loving the things that you do. And when you love the things that you do, you can love the way that you are when you enjoy those things. That's just one interpretation. Uh, things like nature, you know, really appreciating nature, maybe climbing a mountain, you know, you can love that experience and you can love um, the fact that you get to exist as a person um, and, and do these these things that, that give you joy. And when you find joy in life, then you can love that you have that joy and you can love yourself, I think. But, um, you know, it's all very strong out thoughts. It's uh, in in theory, you know, in theory. I mean, I think you should focus specifically on one, your accomplishments, two, your um, treatment of others, like how you how you affect the world around you. Um, and that's something you want to be conscious of. That's something, especially being around other people, that you want to be present about. And and being proud of those things. I mean, I think that's one form of loving yourself, appreciating yourself. 
Yeah, I mean, if you recognize that you are good to other people, then you can recognize that good within. And then also, like, self-care, something that's very important. I think it's it's not acknowledged enough in our culture. But and I think self-care, it's like, it's loving yourself. It's taking care of yourself, giving yourself the things that you need to be healthy, to be happy. Because, um, I mean, not everyone, you're not, you can't rely on others to take care of you. You can't just expect the people around you to, to give you what you need. And I think that means, you know, understanding how to, you could, you could phrase it as how to deal with the things in your life um, in positive ways, such as, you know, if you are depressed or stressed out, then you should exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's... Being animals, that's that basically, would help you. And I mean, I'd say that's self-care. That's loving yourself. If you have headaches and feel lethargic, you should drink more water. Or if you want to lose the weight, you should drink more water and stuff like that, you know. Avoid uh, processed foods, but of course processed foods are around every corner, under every bench and beside every stone, you know. And and some methods of self-care, some methods of loving yourself are going to be more difficult than others. Um, I mean, and yeah, in in that case, it's just like trying to avoid something that is ever-present. It's always around you. You know, and maybe it's something that in the past you had a dependency on. But if you so it's more of a challenge, yeah. Yeah, but if you recognise that um, you've moved past it and it might not even be something that you truly desire anymore, then you just kind of come to that point and you're like, well, um, yeah, I think it, it probably would be good to avoid that, but it doesn't always feel great to to say to yourself um, that it's something you don't want to do because it was a part of you for so long. Um, in this regard specifically I'm talking about marijuana and cannabis use um, which for me has been a bit different uh, than for other people I think in terms of my mental state yeah I mean so I mean I smoked every day for, for years and it completely was a part of, I mean, not just like my everyday life, like in terms of like what I was doing, but then, but emotionally it was, you know, if I went a day without smoking, I I would really be able to tell the differences. Uh, I mean, and I don't mean, I, I don't know all that much about, you know, what it does to your brain specifically. I mean, I know it, it, uh, you know, you get forgetful. You have the well. I was, I was just gonna. I was gonna talk about like, I mean, neurotransmitters. Like, yeah. I mean, like it's so it, it. Well, I mean, I think it. Uh, I think it affects specifically dopamine. I think mm-hmm. that's what. I think that that's what weed um, affects. But like, say I'm smoking every day for years, and then I go a day without smoking. I'm not getting that dopamine that I'm regularly getting from the weed, and like I would. I mean, not only would I just get really, really depressed, but then I would just sort of feel like I would sort of feel restless and I would stress out about everything. And I felt 
I mean, literally dependent on it. Um, so I'd say getting over that hump and being able to just stop, it was a very weird thing for me. And it was, it was a challenge, but it was a matter of knowing why I wanted to stop. I had the reasons in my mind. Um, and I was able to do it anyway because I had, I had the motive. I, and I was being intentional. And then once I got over the hump and I, I, I'd gone a few weeks, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'm able to notice some differences. I'm glad that I did this. And then after that, it was pretty easy. And I stopped thinking about it. And now it's been over over three months. So, Yeah, I mean, there's many, many things you could say in the conversation about cannabis. Uh, I think from myself, in my opinion, you know, if, if you are someone who is, uni- is using cannabis and you think it might be an unhealthy amount, an unhealthy manner, it helps you avoid things in your life, or if you're like me, where you had um, periods of paranoia that uh, was rather pervasive, um, and it began to affect you when you were not smoking, um, if you feel uh, in a state of unease, perhaps in some kind of vague state, you might even say. <laughs> then, <laughs> I was going to drop that like, multiple times. <laughs> um, then my advice to you would be to lay down the pipe at least for a little bit and try not to smoke as much or not. I mean, I think in stoner in stoner culture, it's like, I mean, there's sort of this, like this shared belief that like, Oh, there's never too much weed. Oh, you feeling anything, anything unpleasant, anything negative, just smoke some weed. Yeah, it should be said that I definitely, I think have, have symptoms of paranoia that are different than other people. Uh, I don't notice them in the same way in a lot of other people. I mean, I definitely had bad paranoia at, at certain points, just depending on how much I was smoking at the time and everything. But I mean, I'd, I'd say the whole idea or like the shared belief among among smokers, it's like that there's never too much. Oh, it fixes everything. I mean, weed is not inherently bad, obviously, but it's not always positive. And you I know, think there, people... there is a line where there there is too much air and you got to really be conscious of whether it is benefiting you because there there's a line a lot of and people will to... use it um they say you know like oh i smoke because i'm depressed and you know yeah i think because it affects different people differently i think that for some people it definitely can help with depression um but for other people it can make depression worse you know and that's something you know if you find yourself in that situation where you kind of feel like shit. Yeah, I mean, like, for, it would <laughs> if help. If you don't think smoking's helping, then you should, you should look at that, you know? It would help sometimes for me, but I think whenever I realized that, like, just not only for depression, but just, like, my mental state in general, it wasn't really benefiting me anymore. It was more of a negative, and I was like, okay, well, um, it helps to a certain extent sometimes, but I think, but I, whenever I was looking at the larger picture, I was like, you know, I'm going to have to stop this eventually to get to where I want to be mentally. And then I was like, I mean, there's no greater time than now. Like, let's just fucking stop right now. I think even the, the physical act of smoking, if you feel like you are smoking to to be dependent on it, then that is a bit 
depressing in itself. There's a side aspect to that, I think. Um, but again, it depends on the person. Yeah, I mean, you got to think about it. It's like, oh, is this, is this helping me f- with my depression? Am I doing this to make myself a more productive person, a, a happier person, or am I just using it as a crutch? And I mean, that's a, that's a whole um, debate in itself. I think um, in the future we can definitely talk about drugs a lot more, um, different types of drugs and how they affect you. And our well, experiences I've never done them ever. So I'm a <laughs> I'm a cheese boy, you know. We're just looking over the notes right now, and things we've written down to talk about for for this episode here. Slightly structured episode. I was, uh, we never really got down, I mean, I was going to have a point about talking about uh, the loss of humanity in modern society because of things like our infrastructure and technology, such as the internet, affecting our minds, uh, swaying us. You know, we saw in uh, the 2016 American presidential election, the use of uh, Russian bots and Russian uh, workers to influence people through the use of social media. Hey, that was a lie. That didn't happen. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, and this stuff is rather concerning, but um, it's the weird and wacky time that we live in, you know? And I can only imagine that things will get wackier as time goes on. I long for the day that I am an older man and I can look back on the days of my youth and say, oh, times were simple back then. <laughs> well, see, dude, like, I don't know if that would be true. Sometimes I really do look forward to like being an older person and being like, and having it more figured out and stuff like that. But then also sometimes I'm like, you know, I should cherish my youth. And like, while I, maybe I'm not, um, youth is wasted on the young. That's what my mom said. The fuck does that mean? <laughs> uh, it means like, uh, it's how we interpret it. But I guess it could mean like, um. Our youth, uh, our, our sprightly bodies and, and healthy bodies and stuff, uh, it's wasted on us because we are reckless and unknowledgeable. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that I have been reckless um, in the past, but... If you're not reckless, then you, you don't know how to be cool. Anyway, I'm like I'm gonna go eat an entire box of fruit gushers, and then see see if I die. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna eat nine boxes of fruit gushers and see if like all of my internal organs just like completely shut down. You know, and sometimes you do die, but the gushers were worth it. So who cares? Or if I just start shitting blood? I mean, is life is life worth it? Is life worth more than gushers? Nine boxes. I mean... How many packets you get in a box? Depends on what size box you get in. Like six? Or like I think like the normal size box, yes. But then the other night we got a box of 20, I think. Wow. So we should have what? FYI, you can record for an hour max. Okay, well, I guess we're going to have to close it out. Well, uh, I guess we'll, we'll be back soon enough. Yeah, that was a big state episode one. Yeah.
All right. <laughs> later, <laughs> later, guys. Have a good week. <laughs>